Hi, everybody. Erica Mayholic. Can you all hear me? Is it okay in the back? Oh, my gosh. Should I take off my shoes? I mean, I don't, I don't have any socks on. Um, how's that? Is that a little better? Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Erica Maynard, alcoholic. Um, it's good to be here. Uh, I want to thank um, everyone, the committee and Josh and um, everyone for the kind invitation to come. Um, I come from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I got sober there. I lived there my whole life. Um, and uh, I love it there. We have really great AA there um, now. Uh, it wasn't so great when I got sober. Um, there's proof. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of witnesses to that. Um, that uh, it's changed a lot over the years, um, but uh, it's really been great since I've been able to be here. Um, I've been continuously sober through the grace and uh, never-ending mercy of uh, my higher power, um, which I call God and or Creator, Spirit of the Universe. I mean, I, I don't really think God cares what I call it, but call it a lot of things, uh, but I do know it's a power greater than myself and uh, has kept me continuously sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with all three legacies. I don't know, some are sicker than others, but I need all three of them. I don't know about you all, but I need all three of them really hard because uh, if I don't have all three of them, I get really goofy really quick. But uh, uh, with strong sponsorship, all three legacies in a, in a higher power since December 30th of 1996. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm older than I look, just so you know. <laughs> Skincare. <laughs> uh, just saying. Um, I got sober when I was 25 years old. Um, I, first, before I get started, though, I want to thank Cree so much. Um, she's taken such good care of me, and my flight didn't come in until like 10 o'clock last night. And um, and she's just uh, taken really good care of me. Thank you so much. And um, I want to say um, hi to all my friends um, from the area. Um, and uh, I want to thank the little gals by the coffee that um, I was getting some coffee. And I was like, is this decaf or regular? I mean, I can't really tell. And they're like, here, put one of these in there. It was a powdered Folgers packet and uh there they are over there um i was like you better still be here uh and so if i start talking really fast it's their fault uh, so uh but i'm really glad to be here um I uh, got sober when I was 25 years old um, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I didn't plan to get sober. I got sober because of somebody else's was doing their 12-step work. And, uh, and um, I'll just tell you that story. I started drinking when I was 15, and uh, my last-ditch effort to control my drinking was to date a guy that didn't drink, didn't do drugs, and he uh, had a driver's license. <laughs> it's weird. Um, and... Uh, I didn't hang with people that had driver's licenses or jobs or homes or cars, and he had all of those things. And I thought for sure as a single mom um, that this would help me, right? I had never been able to pull in the reins on my drinking, and I only drank for 10 years from 15 to 25, but um, 
I was 24 at the time, and I'd never been able to not drink the way I drink and um, or do all the things that I did. I did a lot of drugs, and I don't talk about that out of disrespect for Alcoholics Anonymous. I talk about that because I almost missed Alcoholics Anonymous because I thought maybe that was what was the problem with me, and um, turns out it wasn't. Um, I do all drugs alcoholically, um, and uh, I'm, I'm just a more gal. I'm the gal that's always like more of this, more of that. I've never had too much or enough of anything. I just would like more. Thank you very much. I, I never really understood people that said I drank too much. <laughs> I don't I don't think we're a room of people who drank too much. I think we're a room of people who couldn't drink enough. And um, that's just my story. And my first step is not based on the misconceived notion that I can't drink anymore. And I used to say that when I first came in here because I thought that was the truth about myself, that I was an alcoholic and that that meant that I couldn't drink anymore. And then I was around here for a while and I watched my friends die of alcoholism that were sober. And um, I figured out that that wasn't true, that it's not true that I can't drink anymore. The reality is that left to my own devices, I I will drink again without Alcoholics Anonymous, without all of you people, without the... I'm a big book step worker, so I'm all about big book and steps and all that. You know, it's a foundation of our program as a recovery portion. Um, But the fellowship has really saved my life in the last seven years of my sobriety. And I kind of discounted that for many years because I'm a big book step worker. And, you know, and I kind of thought that was like the thing. And then... My parents started dying, my mom got cancer, you know, and um, life started coming at me point blank speed. I remember being a couple years sober and um, and I was at a conference down in Colorado. It's uh, my home conference is actually in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado um, and uh, called the Fellowship of the Spirit Conference. I hope you guys can make it out there sometime. It's, it's a great time and it's a bunch of workshops and I remember hearing Bob B. from Minneapolis speak and uh, he's just in my neighbor to the north. He's about three and a half hours north of me, and um, I never met him or anything. And he talked about, you know, being sober, you know, for a long time and, and life coming at him at point blank speed. And I'm, you know, in my late 20s, couple years sober, and I don't know what he's talking about. Because I'd never had life come at me point blank speed. I, I, didn't, I didn't have, life wasn't that hard for me back then, right? I mean, it was hard enough because I was in it. But that it wasn't like life wasn't throwing these real bad things at me. You know what I mean? And um, you get older and you get um, where a lot more responsibilities and a lot of stuff goes wrong. I'm trying not to swear. <laughs> I kind of have a potty mouth. Um, and uh, it's like my last thing, right? And just saying that, I'm like, oh, curses, because you're going to take this away, too. Um, <laughs> it's like everything you hold on to gets ripped away from you. Um, I'm like, oh, <laughs> please let me hold on to my cuss words. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> um Anyway, I totally forgot what I was talking about. Um, what story? I know I was talking about the boyfriend and whatever, but then I got off on this other story. Life, so I was sitting there listening to him, life coming at me at point blank range, right? And I didn't understand what that meant. And the last few years, the fellowship has um, just wrapped its arms around me. I remember, um, 
I was in my kitchen, and my husband sponsored a guy that I didn't really like him. <laughs> Just saying. And uh, I don't think he liked me very much. And uh, um, we were on uh, different ends of the political spectrum, if you will. And um, we, didn't, we didn't like each other. We didn't see eye to eye about much um, at all. And uh, I didn't quite like to listen to him when he spoke in a meeting. You know, I just had a sense of arrogance and uh, um, distaste for him. And uh, my mom had died. When my mom was, um, my mom had terminal cancer and she had this really aggressive cancer, but she was in this clinical trial for a couple of years that gave us a couple more years with her. And she lived with us for the last year. And she really was very healthy up till the last about couple weeks. And uh, she had broke her leg, her cancer leg, we called it. <laughs> you broke your cancer leg. <laughs> We're not right. But, um, I mean, my mom named her tumor Stanley, okay? So she had this big tumor in the leg. She named it Stanley. She, she used to call him an asshole. And um, I'm just saying, that's my mom's word. That was a quote, direct quote. Um, <laughs> um, but... Um, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and uh, my mom uh, had broke her leg, and um, and uh, we had to. She moved into hospice really quickly, and so um, the people that came uh, to uh, move our dining room furniture out of our dining room to move my mom in there was um, Chad and Sherry, and. Uh, Chad was this guy. I've never named him from the podium, so I hope he doesn't know how much I didn't like him. Anyways, they came and helped us, right? My AA family has been the ones that have celebrated with me. They've helped me. They've picked me up off the floor. They've They've just, when my sponsor died in 2007, it was my AA family that was there for me, you know, Um, and uh, and you know, my mom died. She'd been gone a couple months, and um, they knew I, I was very, very close with my mom. And uh, and he was walking through the house. I was cooking dinner, and uh, I was kind of over the stove stirring something. And um, he comes walking through to go to the back patio because he's going to meet with my husband. My husband's his sponsor. And, um, and he looked at me, and he said, how are you doing? And I just said, I don't think I'm doing so good. And he gave me a hug in my kitchen. And uh, it was love of one of God's kids for another one of God's kids. And all of that prejudice and pride and arrogance and all that BS that I had been carrying for all those years just went away. And, um, and, uh, I felt the love of Alcoholics Anonymous in my kitchen that day, and I felt just a little bit more whole, even though I was missing a part of myself. And uh, so the fellowship has helped me through a lot in the last seven years. Jeez. Um, so I'm a big book chef worker, but I need all three legacies. Like my life depends on it, because it literally does. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, I'll start talking about this, how I got 12-stepped into AA, because that's where I started. Um, I know. I mean, strap in, because I don't know where we're going, you know? (laughs) Get your seatbelt on. Um, And uh, 
So I was dating this guy, and um, he had these friends. They were really kind of like unicorns to me. They were like, I'd never met people like this because I hung out with people like me, you know. At least I thought they were like me. Turns out I got sober. Nobody drank like me, apparently. Um, I learned that making amends, right? I'm there, I was like, what? No. No, you got, no, really? I didn't know. Um, I thought everybody drank like me. Apparently that's not true. Well, you know that when at your, um, you know, family reunions like Christmas and Thanksgiving when you're with your big extended family and you notice for a few years nobody's going to the bars. Like you're like, why isn't anybody going to the bars? And so one year I mentioned it. Why isn't anybody going to the bar? They're like, you don't drink anymore. You're not making everyone go to the bar. And I'm like, What? Like, you don't, like, really, you you cannot trust your own, you know, hindsight when it comes to drinking. I mean, I think even in sobriety, I mean, I think that's why we have each other. But anyway, so I'm dating this guy, and these people were just, they were, they were kind of like our fellowship, right? They were kind to each other. They bought each other presents. They celebrated together, right? But I'd never, I grew up in an alcoholic home. I just, once I started drinking, I didn't buy you presents. I, I had no money to think of you for a present. Like, why would I buy you a present when I need to go to the bar? And um, so I, I would go to these celebrations and... Um, I always say, you know, if you're only dating somebody for like six months and you always need to, already need to go to therapy, you might just want to get out. But um, I knew that he wasn't the guy for me. Um, like I intuitively knew that. I didn't know that's what was happening, but I had a feeling like he wasn't it. And uh, um, but when he asked me to go to therapy, I said okay because I had this I had this realization that I'd never been in a successful relationship. I'd never, like, not even close, right? Like, not even, like, that. May, maybe a little bit healthy, like, nothing close to successful. And so I went, and that, um, that helped me kind of crack the door open, I think, to some light so that maybe I could get honest with myself. But um, this guy had been calling one of his friends um, who was, uh, she was sober in AA. I didn't know she was sober in AA. I knew she was sober. I knew she didn't drink. She didn't do cocaine anymore. And, but she was really cool, rock guitarist. She sang lead vocals in a local band, and she wrote her own music. And, um, she's, and her name was Mary Jane, so I really thought that was cool. Um, and, uh, I mean, I thought for sure when I, I wasn't sober yet, but I thought for sure if people said they were sober, I mean, they had to at least smoke pot, because I just couldn't imagine not smoking pot. I couldn't imagine anybody smoking pot and then not smoking pot. Like, I couldn't, it didn't, before I got sober, like, that could not equate for me. I just, I could not wrap my head around that, and that's how far removed I was from a surrender. And, um, and I, uh, he had been talking to Mary Jane about my drinking, and I didn't know that. And um, so when she said to me Christmas of 1996, in the middle, not Christmas, but in the middle of the month at their Christmas party, their holiday party, um, when she said we should get together sometime after the holidays, um, I was open to that. And I tried to stop drinking and doing everything um, in October of that year. I told you I was a single mom. My son's biological father was in prison because um, that's how I picked him. And, uh, um, and uh, so... I tried in October to stop drinking. I only made it two weeks on my own. And uh, so when she said um, we should get together for 
you know, lunch after the holidays, um, I was open because there was a feeling that maybe I should do something different, you know. But I walked away from that conversation knowing that I couldn't talk to her about it because I knew I couldn't quit. And I had this feeling like as an alcoholic mother, um, I had so much shame, remorse, and guilt about who I'd been, who I remember being, and who I don't remember being, right? And um, the kind of harm that I knew that I had put my son through that I didn't even know. Does that, does that make sense? Like I knew, but I didn't know. I had no consciousness of it, but I knew um, what kind of a mom I was. And I knew that if I said it out loud, I would have to. And I knew I couldn't. So therefore, I couldn't say it out loud, right? I just had to, just like everything else, I just had to push it deep down inside of myself. Like when he was born and I had no feelings, right? And I was like, this isn't normal, right? That's like my mantra my whole life. Like, this isn't normal, Erica. This isn't normal. And I remember having him and having this little baby and and being like, I have no feelings and knowing that I'd watched enough movies and TV shows to know that when you have a baby, you have a feeling. Everybody in the room is having a feeling, you know, and especially the mother's having a feeling, right? And I had no feelings. And I thought, what is wrong with you, right? That's my mantra about myself. What is wrong with you? I said that for years. And I will tell you, once you get sober and actively engaged in recovery, just stop asking that question because it's a suffering question. There's never an answer. All it is is to serve, to reserve you shame every day. What is wrong with you? What is wrong? That's another thing. I was a parent educator for years. I just um, took a sabbatical from that last year. But um, I, one of the things, if I could abolish this from every parent's mouth, it's to say that to their kids. What is wrong with you? Right? We already feel like something's wrong with us. Right? And so it's one of the worst things to say to a kid. But anyway, that's my little PSA, my little <laughs> social worker hat. Um, so uh, she ended up meeting me for lunch that day. She picked me up, and um, and I told you I decided, you know, that I wouldn't say anything. And so halfway through the meal, I had this voice or something said to me, if I don't do something differently, I'm never going to do it. And I could, it's like I could see 20 years in the future of me being the same person, right, blaming everybody else for my lack of success, that I can't finish college, I can't finish, I can't keep a job, I can't, I mean, I just can't do anything, and uh, I, I can't follow through on anything, and, um, and I can't stop drinking, right? And that I just could see myself 20 years later waking up the same way and um, blaming everybody else. And so I said, I have a problem, can, can I tell you about it? And what I said to her was, I smoke pot every day and I wanna know how you quit. And um, because I was using marijuana as a way to manage my alcoholism, right? Because when I drink, I'm a bar drinker. I got to be where the party is. And so I would not drink with my son. We were just talking about that. I, I was terrified. And I didn't have this conscious thought. I just had this feeling that if I would start drinking home alone with my son, that I would leave him in the crib and I would go to the corner bar. And I just, I could, and I know once I go to the bar, I don't come home. I know that about myself. And so, because I, I drink way more than normal people. I drink way more than the average alcoholic. I just, I have a knack for it. I think it's in my bloodline. I mean, I come from a long line of alcoholics on one side and mental illness on the other. So, um, and then you, there's me. Um, and, uh, 
And she said, you know, she had heard about my drinking. And um, so she said she would take me to a meeting. Now, I had no idea that she was taking me to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My dad had been sober in AA a couple of times in uh, Cedar Rapids. And um, I didn't, he had been to treatment at the local treatment center. Um, actually, one of our past area trustees and past delegates, Chuck B. from Cedar Rapids, he um, he was at my house helping my dad um, when I was little. So he met me when I was younger. Um, and uh, so I didn't understand Alcoholics Anonymous. She didn't tell me AA. So I just thought she said she was going to take me to a woman's meeting. And I thought, oh, that's so great. They'll be so nice. <laughs> right? We're not nice. But that's good. We shouldn't be nice. I don't believe in being nice because nice can be very dishonest. Nice protects predators as well, but nice is very dishonest, whereas I do believe in being kind because you can be kind and you can be honest, right? And the women in Alcoholics Anonymous were very kind to me, uh, but they were not very nice uh, because the truth hurts. And uh, anyways... um, she called me later and was like, the woman's meeting isn't till next week, the regular meeting. And my mind is like going, what is she talking about regular meeting, right? Like, I don't know what she's saying. But that voice said, if I don't do something different today. And I was like, yes, I'll go. And so she picked me up for the meeting. And uh, that was on December 30th of 1996. And I've been sober ever since then. And um, I got sober as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went into that meeting and I heard people share all the things that I had pushed deep down inside of myself, right, for all those years. I heard people talk about, like, they were sharing my mail, right? They were talking about the things that you never talk about those things when you're out there drinking. You don't talk about the pain. You don't talk. You just keep drinking, right? Like, I could not drink enough to push down my conduct from the day before, right? I could not drink enough. And I would—I was the kind of alcoholic that I would drink five and six days a week and then uh, be so sick that I couldn't drink. And I'd be puking bile until 10 o'clock at night. And when I could finally get something to go down, I'm back at the bar, right? Like, that's... that's uh, It's not good. <laughs> um, but um, she... Uh, took me to my first meeting, and I remember being a couple months sober, um, and I'll talk about my drinking too. I don't know why we're just going this way, but I prayed, so, I mean, this is, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're starting in the middle, apparently. Um, and uh, But if you know me, I'm not linear anyway. I'm like, boop, 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 boop. Um, So, anyways, we, um, see, now what was I saying? Um I was a couple months sober, and I was in my mom's kitchen, and I was a single mom. Like I told you, I was going to school, and um, I was, like, crying, and my face was red, and I hadn't worked any steps yet. And um, I was like, you know, like, and I was like, Mom, you don't understand. It's so hard not to drink. And my mom was not alcoholic. She was a real-life hippie when I was growing up, but she was not alcoholic. She could take it or leave it alone. Um, alcohol and uh but she um she said honey it's just not that big of a deal i mean she saw her daughter suffering and she's like just have a couple drinks and take the edge off it's just not that big of a deal and i remember my dad who was a daily drinker when i was growing up and and he used to say to me at the bar i remember my 24th birthday i remember that because i have pictures where i was doing this and i was doing this because I didn't know if the picture reversed it. 
<laughs> so I had some of them saying I was 42 and some of them saying I was 24 because I was a little drunk. And uh, I remember that night at the bar when I was uh, turning 24, my, it was a bar that my aunt and uncle owned and my dad basically kept the lights on. I mean, they had to sell the bar six months after he got sober. Um, <laughs> true story. <laughs> he got sober when I was about, what did we say, 14 years sober, I think? We did the math today at lunch. I was like, I've never done the math. I don't know how long I was sober when my dad got sober. I think I was like 14 years sober. And um, uh, he got sober and died with uh, the month that he was getting his four years. So um, he came to my home group with me every Friday night, but um, now I lost what, where I was going with that. Um, in my mom's kitchen, right? So I was in my mom's kitchen, and um, she said, have a couple drinks, take the edge off. And it was as if the room lit up. It was like I saw myself for the first time, the reality that I had never, I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm a really bright person uh, because I just know this because they took me to all kinds of psychologists and psychiatrists and like when I was a kid because they were like, mm, something ain't right with Erica. Um, and so they got me a lot of testing, <laughs> right? And so I know what my IQ is. I know that I'm a pretty bright person. And it never occurred to me in the whole 10 years that I drank that I had never stopped at a couple of drinks. And for me, a couple is six or eight. I know that for sure that a couple is six or eight because when I had my first son and I was 22 years old, and I was going to go out for my 23rd birthday. My son was two months old, and the doctor said, you could have a couple. My mind said six or eight. And uh, I know that that's what a couple means to me. And if I could stop at eight, I would be drinking eight right now, right? Like, if I could stop at eight, eight is not a problem for me at all. Um, eight is a nice place to slide into. Eight. Like, if I could stop at eight and just drink soda, I mean, wouldn't that be great if you could just stop at eight and just like, and even saying that, doesn't 10 sound better? I mean, it doesn't even, eight doesn't even sound good anymore. 10 sounds much better. And then you got to have 12. You have to have more than a 12-pack because you know you're going to need more than the 12-pack. So, I mean, you guys know the alcoholic math. But um, I remember standing in my mom's kitchen that day, and I just remember seeing for the first time that I never had a couple drinks. And... Uh, um, that was the day that I really knew that I needed Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That was the day that I knew that I did not have a solution and that I knew that it will always get worse for me, never better. Like, I knew it, that full concession to my innermost self happened to me that day. I had not seen myself the way that I saw myself on that day. And um, it was like the veil was lifted, and I was just like, oh, my God, Mom, I know why I can't have a couple drinks. I can't have a couple drinks because I've never had a couple drinks. And she was like, what? And I was like, it made perfect sense to me, you know. And um, I will tell you the one time I did try to control my drinking was that time when I was t uh, turning 23. And um, I'd had a stroke when I had my son, and um, I wasn't supposed to be drinking yet. Um, but the doctor said, if you're going to have a drink, you can have a couple. And... Uh, six or eight and uh, so it's the first time I ever counted right and um, I'd only part partially um, recovered from my stroke and uh, so I went to the bar and I was counting with the stir straws right I was at a real classy place we had those solo cups that crinkle <laughs> they didn't use real glass <laughs> and so but they did give you a stir straw in my rum and coke right so I was counting stir straws every time I'd get I thought this was brilliant that's what I thought I thought this is a great idea 
I never had to count before, but I thought this will work. And, um, and when I got to 22 stir straws in my drink, I mean, I overshot the six or eight, right? I didn't even notice I overshot the six or eight until I have 20. It's about this many, by the way, and uh, 22 stir straws. I know that because they're hitting you in the face, like you're trying to drink it, and they're like, yeah, I'm in the face. Real irritating. And, um, and I remember consciously, now this is how you know I'm a real alcoholic too, because I was only a little drunk, and I was on my 22nd drink. And I was only a little drunk. And I remember consciously going, taking them and throw like this. My eyes got real big, like, mofo. <laughs> and uh, and I, is that a swear? I'm sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm drinking now, right? And then I proceeded to drink the way I drank. And I'm not proud of that because I was nursing my son and we didn't have those little, now they have little alcohol testers you can put in your breast milk to see if you have... Right, and, um, and my poor son had to grow up with me as a mom, and uh, um, an alcoholic mom. And uh, you know, Bill talks about in his in our book. He says we do not one of the promises, right, um, of the spirit is that we don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And um, Bill was never an alcoholic mother, and uh, or an alcoholic father. Um, I don't mean to be sexist because I'm sure fathers feel the same way. There seems to be an incredible uh, pressure put on mothers, right, especially a single mom, uh, to be able to provide something for my son that I was incapable of providing, stability, structure. Um, the same mom, I mean, he had five different moms in one day. He never knew who he was going to get. And I grew up with a dad like that, so I know how that is, to not know what dad you're going to get. I remember my dad drinking again, and I was, I don't remember if I was 8 or 12 or somewhere in the middle. I, don't, I was a kid, and I remember that um, my brother said, Dad's drinking, and I looked over in the side yard, and he was sitting on the picnic table, and he was sitting up on the table with his feet, you know, on the chair part, and he had... Uh, 12-pack. I called it a box back then. It was a box of beer. <laughs> and, um, and I saw him, you know, click one open and drink it. And I just remember the feeling of my heart going into my feet and just knowing that I wasn't going to know who he was. I wasn't going to know what to expect anymore. Because at least when he was sober, I would know he, he was the same person walking in the room. And when he was drinking, I wouldn't know who he was going to be. And um, so... Uh, I do regret the past. I do regret the things that happened um, with my son, probably more than anything else um, that I've done in my past, and I've done a lot of sordid things in my past, and those are the things that I regret the most. But I will tell you that God has used them to good account. God has brought light to those things that are my darkest, most horrible things, and he's brought light to them because he's been able to help somebody else with them. And I don't normally share those things just out in the open with people, but if somebody's hurting and they're suffering and I have experience with that, I can say, me too. That happened to me or I did that. 
and uh, here's how God uses us, right? And this, I lived a life, I started drinking when I was 15 years old. I knew better than to drink. Um, my oldest son uh, is 29 now. He was two when I got sober. He turned three, so don't try to do the math, because he turned three when I was a month and a half sober. So people are kind of like, it's like a year off. Yes, it is a year off, because he turned three right after I got sober. But um, he's like six foot five. He's just the most beautiful human. I think my husband fell in love with him before he fell in love with me. He just has these big blue eyes, and he just is an incredible human being. And um, I got off on that. I don't know what I was saying. Um, oh, I, I started drinking when I was 15, even though I read the book What's Drunk Mama when I was a little girl, the Al-Anon book. I read that. You know, my dad had been to treatment. I knew better than to drink. Um, my son also grew up in a house of Alcoholics Anonymous, and so he grew up with hearing about Alcoholics Anonymous and watching uh, my husband and I work with people in Alcoholics Anonymous um, in and out of our house. We'd go to meetings, and um, he's, you know, he's been around it. And I, I, I have four boys now, and I talk to all of them about, I mean, I'm not only a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm also a social worker, so... They've been known to say things like, Mom, stop social working me. I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> can't help myself. <laughs> Let me help you. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so they've, you know, I've talked to them about body, mind, spirit, why you should wait till you're 21 to drink, and why you should never, ever, 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 ever do drugs like ever. And uh, so I've, ta- I've had all these conversations with them, and at least give yourself a shot. Wait till you're 21. And he actually listened to that. And um, I asked him, he didn't drink till he was like 22, 23. And um, I asked him a couple years later, I was like, why, why did you do that? And he was like, looked at me like, duh. And he said, uh, Mom, that would be like Russian roulette with my life. I felt a little offended myself. I was like, because um, I didn't think twice, right? I didn't think twice. A drink pushed my way, and I drank it. And man, it was exactly what I wanted, what I needed. It, I felt as though it fixed what ailed me. Right, that spiritual malady that's deep down within myself that that nothing else fixes, but somehow alcohol makes me right-sized, and suddenly I don't have fear anymore, and I don't have all the insecurity, and I can just do whatever, and I can black out and not remember life, right? In oblivion, I want to go to Niwok, and that's what I like to do, and um, and he's a normal drinker. He's, I mean, God help him that he never, because you can you know, cross that line, but I was helping him clean out his apartment a couple years ago because he was moving out, and um, there was three Heinekens. First of all, who drinks Heinekens? I don't know. I didn't drink Heinekens. But anyway, um, not that I was a classy drinker. I mean, remember the Solo Cup. Um, But he had three Heinekens in the bottom of his crisper, and I'm like, you have three beers in your crisper. And he's like, oh, I forgot those were even there. And I was like, well, there's only three. I can imagine why you forgot, because why would you start drinking? I mean, would you guys start drinking if you only have three? Hell no. Um, and he said, oh, Bob, you don't understand. For me, a drink's a party. And he's six foot five, and for him, a drink's a party. And I'm like, oh, thank God he doesn't have what it takes. Yes. <laughs> So far, we're counting it as a win. Uh, you can develop alcoholism over time and practice. I've, I've found that with people, too. So just because you don't come out the shoot alcoholic doesn't mean you can't develop it. Um, so for all you Al-Anons out there, <laughs> there's still hope. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so 
first time alcohol came my way and, and started my life of, I knew that that's what I wanted to do from that point on. And, and as a sophomore in high school, when I started drinking, um, I just did it as often as I could, which, you know, in the first year was weekends. And then by the time I was in the summer, between my sophomore and junior year, I was drinking four and five nights a week. By the time I was in my junior year, I'm going to the downtown bars dressed in my mom's business suits. This is not normal. Um, <clears throat> in the late 80s, when you were getting sober, I was dressing in my mom's business suits, looking like Delta Burke from Designing Women with the big hair and the big makeup and the, the heels and the, you know. Um, and going to the downtown bars with the adults. And I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, and that is not normal. And I should not have been allowed in the downtown bars when the drinking age was 21. Um, and yet they let me go. And I went by myself. I didn't drink with my high school comrades. I didn't drink with people that were my age. I went to the downtown bars and drank with the adults. And uh, uh, it turns out you don't need a lot of money if you're a young girl and you're in a bar because you use what you got. And uh, I'm not proud of that. Um, and that just puts my plug in for Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I came into AA, I was around safe men that did not try to date me, to use a code word. Um, they did not try to date me. Um, they, I was around safe men that gave me some room to discover who I was and to um, uncover the root of my troubles and without the distractions. Because our book talks about sex troubles and sex problems and, and talks about sex in general, like we don't want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. But I will tell you what, nothing will distract me so much if I'm a new woman in Alcoholics Anonymous as a new relationship. And uh, I've watched it take many, many, many people out. Uh, a lot of women takes us out. Because what happens to someone like me is I get in a relationship with dude, and I think, oh, dude, and suddenly dude is a center, central fact of my life today and not my program or my relationship with God that's just developing. And I don't know that I've confused the two because I just am all starry-eyed for dude. And uh, then dude doesn't work out, because dude's a dude. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't work out with him. And then all of a sudden, I'm heartbroken, because I have no foundation in Alcoholics Anonymous, and my dependence has been on a person, not on a God. And, um, and we go out, we drink, we get loaded. Some people never come back, right? And it's not because we don't want to come back. It's because we are seemingly powerless over alcohol. Right? Like, I say seemingly because that's what our book says in one point. It says seemingly powerless state of mind and body. And uh, seemingly because by step two we gain power, right? We have access to power here, right? But it's not of me and it doesn't come from me, but it does come through me, right? It does come through me. When, somehow when I'm connected to you, that power comes through me. And God grants me power today to be sober. I don't know how that works. Like, how am I 52 years old? And sober. Like, who does that? Like, anytime somebody gets a chip, I'm always like, who does that? <laughs> because it's a miracle, right? Like, Bill says in our book, he talks about, um, you know, when they were getting ready to write the book, 
Um, he talked about a new light entering the dark world of the alcoholic. And we were talking today about illumination, right? There's this theme of illumination in our book, right? There, we illuminate the dark crannies, right? We shine the light into where the, the evil grows in the dark, right? It's our secrets that keep us sick. And it's not the big deal secrets. It's a little crap that I try to get away with without telling anybody, right? And that stuff grows in the dark. It grows if I don't share it. It grows if I don't share a tenth step about it. And... Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but it, illuminating, it, illuminating the dark crannies, and something happens within us that a light gets, a light starts within us, right? And that's how we don't recognize it. We, it's not a light that we can see in the mirror, or but I see it reflected in you, right? I see my light reflected in your light, right? And I was told this story um, in. Uh, about the responsibility we have in Alcoholics Anonymous and um, by an old-timer. Her name was Barbara. She was from Lubbock, Texas, and um, her and her husband had a little treatment center down there, and wish I could remember her last name. But I, my current sponsor, I've had uh, Mary Thayer has been my sponsor since I was, I don't know, it was since 2007, so however long I was sober then. Um, when my sponsor, Linda, Linda Risley, actually was from Indianapolis, just north of here, and um, she was my sponsor for, well, maybe not north, I think maybe. Thank you. Yep, this way. (laughs) Um, Anyway, um, she died suddenly of a stroke, and then uh, Mary Thayer's been my sponsor, but see, now I just, I get started on these tangents, and then I just don't know what I was talking about. The light... Oh, Texas. Thank you. Lubbock, Texas. Barbara. So it turns out Barbara was friends with my sponsor. Like, I didn't know. Barbara was long since dead. She passed away years ago. And then I'm with my sponsor, and I find out that she was friends with Barbara. And Barbara and I talked at Fellowship of the Spirit Conference. We shared many meals together, and she just helped me so much. And Barbara shared this story with me about snakes in a pit. Sounds familiar. Um, sound like a bunch of alcoholics to me just all over each other and uh and in the dark right and uh just writhing around in the dark and then um, one day a little bit of light shone through and one of the snakes started rising up out of the pit and they just kept focus on the light and as they were focused on the light they were able to rise up out of the pit and they got distracted by something else and once they took their eyes off the light they fell back into the pit and then they would get their eyes back on the light and then next thing you know one of them's rising up out of the pit and they just hold their eyes on the light and they're just hovering there over the pit in some kind of peace and trance at this light and just mesmerized by this light shining through and then they notice another snake is coming out of the pit but the snake hadn't noticed the light they couldn't see from their vantage point they couldn't see the light coming through the the earth but what they could see was the light reflected off of the other one and I think that's what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't come in here with the higher power. I didn't come in here, I mean, please, I did not come in here with anything close to a relationship with a higher power. I didn't have any kind of conception of a higher power. I didn't have any ideas about a higher power. As a matter of fact, there was a feeling that I had, and that's how Bill describes this higher power, like the feeling we have for a friend. Like, it doesn't really make sense, but there's a feeling. And... Uh, There was a feeling in my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a feeling of safety with you that I never felt out there. I was not around safe people. I was not a safe person. And 
I came in to you and you treated me with dignity and respect and I had not earned that, right? And uh, yet you still treated me with love and kindness and dignity and respect. You didn't try to get anything from me. You didn't try to get anywhere with me. You just treated me with dignity. And uh, that feeling was my first higher power. That feeling of safety, that feeling of being in a room with other drunks that were sober. The drunks, the God that gets drunk sober, that was my first higher power. That feeling of being with you. And it hasn't really changed much from that, right? I don't have a lot of dogma or religion, but there's a feeling that I can go to in my morning meditation, that I can go to in my nightly review. That's why we have these disciplines and these practices not to you know make you do something you don't want to do <laughs> that's supposed to be funny i don't know maybe <laughs> just me <laughs> it's not like a punishment right how many of you had had sponsees they're like why do i have to do this i don't know why do i have to do it i don't know <laughs> i just do i don't know um but there's, we cultivate that relationship with that feeling, right? We cultivate that relationship with that safety. We were just talking about this today, too, that, you know, the world will always disappoint me. The world can never, t- never takes me where I really want to go. But people and situations and things in the world cannot bring me safety. I will never find my safety in the externals. My safety can only be found deep down within myself. And the only way that I can access that is through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know why that's still the answer for me today, but it's still the answer for me today. And the big book is the map, not the treasure, right? So it's not like I worship the big book or anything, but it is a book that has been divinely inspired. And how do you know that? I was told by someone much smarter than me, much more spiritual than me, that had years on me, one of my heroes in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he said, you will know a spiritual book because it changes as you read it over time. The text changes, and you're like, how did they put that in there? Or something that like never meant anything to me before, all of a sudden one day I'll be like, oh. Like you get it at a level that you never got it before, right? Like it, it downloads deep within you, and you're like, oh. That is the nature of a spiritual text. And uh, so the 12 steps have always worked for me for every single problem I've ever had. It has offered me a way to live and a way to, because I really think it's you on the front end. It looks like you. It really does. It, it looks like you. There's evidence that you've done something wrong. <laughs> and I should be mad at you. <laughs> right? On the front end, it always looks like you. And uh, I mean, I thought that was funny, but. Um, you guys are all like, no, yeah, I get it. It is them. It's really them. <laughs> I mean, I've had sponsees call me, and they've been like, this time, I think it's them. <laughs> I, think, I think you'll agree. And I'm like, let me have it. <laughs> Let's try it on. It's never them. I think it, AA in three words or less is it's not them, right? Um, but uh, um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I I should probably tell you a little bit more about my drinking, but you know I never had a couple drinks. Um, I was in college. I got a full-ride scholarship for um, opera. I used to sing opera, and uh, I was really good, too, and I just I couldn't keep going to school. I just had a drinking problem. You know, I couldn't stop drinking. And um, 
And uh, so I never made it back to school after the one, I made it one term in school. And I never came back after Christmas break. That's not normal. Um, usually people go back for your second term when it's being paid for. And you're getting a stipend weekly to drink on. <laughs> like, that would be normal to, you know, and I just forgot to go back, you know, and uh, literally forgot to go back. Like, I'm not, I wish I was exaggerating, or I wish that was, like, ha-ha, she forgot to go back. No, I really forgot to go back. I, I got a call at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night, and uh, it was my roommate. Her name was Rayanne. Never been able to find her because I don't remember her last name. I do owe her men's. Um, never been able to find her. But <clears throat> she called me at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like getting ready to go to bar and watching Roseanne because Roseanne was on at 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights. And... Um, and I'm getting ready to go to the bar. And uh, she's like, no, I mean, what are you doing? School started today. And I was like, oops, you know, like, oh. And I didn't register yet because I missed registration in the previous, in the fall registration for the spring because I was too drunk to make it to registration. So I just thought, well, I'll register when I go back to school, which meant I was supposed to be there a day early. I mean, I still could have made it work if I just would have went, but I had to go to the bar. And so... Um, uh, yeah, I drank like that. And then I couldn't keep jobs. I kept one job for almost a year at MCI. I remember when telecom companies, when you would call and sell people long distance, I did that for a while. Sorry. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I kept that job almost a year. And my boss talked, brought me into the office to talk to me about my drinking. And I tell you what, man, the wall that came up when he, I was just like, Heck with you, that's code for other words. I won't say the podium. Heck with you, you don't know me, right? Um, and uh, I left. Yeah, you don't know me. I mean, just imagine. I was a little sassy. Um, and, uh, I mean, I was, I was a brawler. I, 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 I know you can't see it now, but I used to fight all the time. And um, when, about, around about the time I turned 21, I, I had this moment of clarity um, in the toilet at a, you know, bar. I was sitting there peeing, like you do, uh, when you drink as much as I do. Spend a lot of time in the bathroom. And, um, and I had this moment of clarity that if I kept fighting, I was going to lose a fight eventually, right? Like, I couldn't count on whatever I'd counted on up to, you know, blind rage um, from, you know, un healed trauma, right, like from growing up. Uh, I couldn't count on that forever to uh, save me, and so I just stopped fighting. I don't know. I just I just was like, oh, I better stop doing that, and I never, you know, crawled across ball. I mean, I didn't even have to have a reason to come after people, and people, when I say people, I didn't just fight girls, right? I mean, it's very embarrassing, um, but, uh, but I kept drinking. I couldn't st seem to stop drinking, but I could stop fighting. I could stop about everything else, but I couldn't stop drinking. And um, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, um, I felt as though I was lifted out of a different life and put into a new life. And uh, um, I don't even know how to describe it other than God kept me safe and protected. Like the gal that I partied a lot with that lived in the apartment right across from me like we smoke pot together almost every day again I don't say that out of disrespect for AA I'm a real alcoholic but um she uh her boyfriend had gotten out of prison and so she had uh, the boyfriend that she told me that she didn't have 
<laughs> that was my best friend. This is some real... The boyfriend that she said that she didn't have because he was actually the stepfather of my best friend from high school. <laughs> so this gal said it wasn't her boyfriend. Um, but he was her boyfriend, and he had gotten out of prison. And so she, like, disappeared for six months, my first six months sober. She was just gone. And she was my daily hookup, right? Um, and God kept me safe and protected. Um, I stayed with my uh, boyfriend at the time. I had that boyfriend that when I got sober, and I stayed with him for the first two weeks. I didn't. I was afraid to go back to my apartment. I was afraid if I what I would do if I went back there. Um, because I know how I am. I know that I drink. I know that I do whatever. I do whatever. And uh, um, so um, fast forward a little bit. I met my husband. I only have about 10 minutes left, I think. Um, I met my husband in Alcoholics Anonymous. He was actually at my first meeting. I asked him, well, what did you think of me? You know, years later, what did you think of me at my first meeting? He said, I thought too bad she's a newcomer. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um, and, um, and also the right answer, right? <laughs> that was the right answer. Um, and uh, I didn't see him again until um, 11 months sober, and um, we started dating. And we dated for four years, which is like an AA miracle, because before I didn't even have to date you to move in with you. Like, <laughs> just, like, meet you at the bar, and I don't even know your name, and I'm living with you because I'm homeless. I don't <laughs> have a home. I don't pay rent. I don't have a job. That means I'm homeless, right? Um, and so I just would live with people from, you know, just, oh, hi, <laughs> we're now dating. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we dated in Alcoholics Anonymous for four years, and um, that's a trip to be able to um, really get to know somebody. And the nice thing about not moving in together, I've never heard anybody say, um, boy, gosh, we really waited way too long to move in together. <laughs> I've never heard that one time, but I have heard people say, man, it did make it a little bit harder <laughs> to move in together. Not that it was a mistake, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know that it's a mistake, but what living by myself with my son for that four years did for me was it enabled me an opportunity to heal a lot of unhealed parts of myself, that if he was in the room... I would just shut down. I wouldn't have to look at myself because I could stay mad. I could blame him. I could project. I could do all the things, right? I wouldn't have to look at me. And so that's what it did for me is it provided a safe place for me that I could work my steps. I could call my sponsor. I could, you know, do what I needed to do. Um, my first year sober, I didn't know that I um, yelled at my son every day. I mean, and I don't mean just raise my voice at him like a normal parent might, because there are reasons to raise your voice, safety for one. I mean, like, you scream at them if they're running out in the street or they're going to pour boiling water on themselves or something like that, right? This was screaming like a crazy person, and I did not know that I did that. And I got sober, and I was confronted with who I was and the kind of parent that I was. And I was devastated. And I, um, I mean, my son, I told you already how cute he was. He was just the sweetest sweetest thing and um he was a baby you know he was like he just turned three years old and he's just they're just so little and uh so innocent and um i would scream at him as if he was the problem with me as if he was why i was late 
as if he was why whatever. And um, the problem is that I seem to lack power to change my own behavior. And just because it's objectionable doesn't mean that I stop doing it. And so it took me a year to stop yelling at him. It took me a year of working steps of prayer. It went from not noticing at all to finally going, oh, my God, I do this, to um, at the end of the night in my nightly review, going, oh, my gosh, I did this all through the day, to, you know, 20 minutes after I would yell at him, I would come out of my, you know, my wide out of blind rage and go, oh, my God, I did it again, to in the middle of it, stopping and being like, oh, I'm so sorry. Sometimes I would just, I remember this one time we were in the hallway of this little, I lived in HUD housing, and um, thank God, it was such a nice, cute little place. It was nothing fancy at all. I mean, I'm not a fancy person. You can't tell because I like rings. (laughs) I'm not fancy. (laughs) And I only wear rings, like, when I'm going somewhere, because I quit wearing all jewelry during COVID. I don't know if you guys did that, but, I mean, maybe some of you never wore rings. That's totally okay. Um, But I stopped wearing all jewelry during COVID. I didn't even wear my wedding ring for, like, two years. I just wore nothing, because, I mean, it was like I was just at home, and, you know, what's the use anyhow? I just... (laughs) A lot of things changed during that two years, but... um, Anyways, I remember this time when I was in the middle of this uh, hallway, and I remember yelling at him, and I saw myself yelling at him, and I saw him looking up at me, and he was, you know, he wasn't even crying, but he had tears coming down his face. And I just stopped in the middle of yelling, and I got him. I just fell to my knees, and I just started crying, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, baby. I'm so sorry. Mommy's trying so hard. I'm so sorry. You never deserve to be talked to like this. And I remember it shifted from saying I was sorry to saying I was wrong. I'm wrong to talk to you like this. And, uh, and I would hug him. And the other thing I would do is I would say, can we start over, please? Can Mommy start over and try again? And it's really a cool thing because in, it didn't end there, by the way. One of the biggest things that helped me change was I would call a woman in Alcoholics Anonymous that I loved and trusted that was a closed-mouth, understanding friend that was not going to share my business with anybody else, was not going to gossip or criticize me. They weren't going to say to me, what is wrong with you? Or when are you going to get it? Or if you don't knock that shit off, I'm not sponsoring you anymore. They wouldn't say that stuff to me because I was embarrassed and humiliated. And I would call and say, I'm so embarrassed to tell you that I did this. But these are the words that came out of my mouth. Because just to call and say, I yelled at my son is a half measure for me. Because I can hide a lot behind blanket statements. I can hide a lot of negative BS behind some blanket statements. But if I tell you exactly what I did, exactly the twist in my character that happened while I was saying it, the, the dark, evil, right thing that was happening in my soul, I'm not like normal people. There is a darkness in me that when I get afraid, bam, that evil twist of character comes out and you're going to get it. If you do not obey, you're going to get it. And I'm sorry about that. That is what I'm here to try to heal that, right? And it's God has done a miracle in me, but she ain't dead yet, right? She still lives here. <laughs> but she doesn't run my life anymore, most of the time. <laughs> but um, 
that's what I would do. And, and the nice thing about that is we do that in my house today, where if I say something, it's, it doesn't sound like that, though. It usually sounds more like, um, you shouldn't have said that like that, guys. Uh, I remember when Chance, my oldest son, was um, in high school. My sponsor made me add to my, um, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. Here's how I should have said it. Uh, I'm really sorry, and I was wrong to say that. Here's how I should have said it. And she made me start adding, your mom has some control issues. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not a very, uh, like, surrendered person, if you haven't picked up on that yet. <laughs> it's not a forte of mine. Like, it's, I'm not well surrendered. Like, Alcoholics Anonymous surrendered me, right? Like, I've been praying just for God to cultivate the environment where I can surrender in my life, right? Like, and um, when my uh, sponsorship is one area that I'm pretty... I'm pretty dang surrendered in that area. And yet I, she said that, and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I need to. That is information he doesn't need. <laughs> I don't need to say that. Like, I, there was pushback. And resistance is a demonstration of lack of surrender, right? Resistance to any kind of direction in Alcoholics Anonymous is a demonstration of lack of surrender. And... Uh, and there was, there, I pushed back when she said that. And here's what she said to me. And this is, sponsors are wise, man. They can see us in a way that we cannot see ourselves. And that's why we need them. Because I cannot trust my limited view of me. I do not see myself well. Right? I, right? It's laughable. Because we think we do sometimes. You don't know me. Really? Um, I've been watching you for years. I think I know you. Um, but she said to me something that has never left me. She said, he needs to know that he is not the problem with you. And I was like, holy smokes. And I said, okay. And I remember the first time I said it to him, Chance, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have talked to you. Because I just, I wouldn't yell at them, but I would have this critical controlling, like, in, you know, um, and uh, I said it to him, I'm sorry, Chance, I shouldn't have said that like that. Um, here's how I should have said it. I was wrong to talk to you like that. And then I was like, your mom has some control issues. And he goes, that's okay, Mom, I know. <laughs> I was so offended. I was like, <gasps> I was shocked. I mean, I don't know how he could tell. I really thought I was hiding it well. <laughs> You don't, you don't have to be very, you can be pretty far on my periphery and know that that's true about me, but I just don't think anybody else can see it because um, I don't see it very well. But um, anyway, I've been through a lot in the last seven years. It's been a, a miracle to stay sober and to stay married. Um, we had twins. Uh, I didn't want to have more kids. I like tried to talk my husband out of it. We got married um, when Chance was 10 years old and uh, Mike adopted him. We had to take his biological father to court so that Mike could adopt him. And um, and he was able to get adopted. And um, then Mike, my husband, uh, who's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, wanted to have more kids. I tried to talk him out of it. I mean, I tried everything. I was like, we'd be, you know, laying in bed. You know, it's Saturday morning when you don't have kids and you can lay there. It's like 9 o'clock. You're like just laying there because, you know, you don't have anything to do. You can just lay in bed for another 20 minutes or half an hour, and we're just laying there. I'm like, isn't this nice? He's like, yeah. I'm like, this is so great. He's like, yeah. I'm like, we don't have anything to do. He's like, yeah. I said, if we have more kids, it's over. <laughs> it's over. 
We'll never, do you like scuba diving? Because if we have more kids, it's over. <laughs> I really tried to talk to him. He's like, I'd like to have a couple more kids. I'm like, okay, I'll give you one. God gave us identical twins, of course. And I knew my life was over, and it was. My life was over as I knew it. And then we had our fourth child, and uh, I, I know, uh, not my choice. I had the best life I never wanted, right? I, the, I would have never picked this life because it's too hard. I'm not capable of doing this life. I'm not capable of doing my job. I'm not capable of loving my kids, the kind of love that can come out of me. I'm not capable for being the stability that they need. I'm not capable of any of those things on my own. I know who I am. I know where I come from, right? I know what I'm capable of. And I know that I lack power to do any of those things. And it's just a miracle that any of those things are happening in my life. And it's not me. It's not because I'm special. If there's anything that I can tell you, oh, my gosh, there is something happening in Alcoholics Anonymous when you are in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. But if you're missing anything in those three legacies, if you're not sponsoring other people and helping them through the 12 steps, you're missing it, right? We don't give it away to, what is the saying? We give it away to keep it. But we don't give it away to keep it. We give it away to get it. Like it's been through the turmoil and struggle of sponsoring. I mean, try to sponsor a handful of women who don't do what you ask them to do. Right? I mean, they will have you working steps like nobody's been, like column one. You know, column two. You know? And, it, I mean, they have me working steps, right? I mean, that's not the only thing. Sponsorship lights up something in me. I mean, God has always given me women to sponsor, and it's not because of me. It's because God knows that, that how sick I am and how much I need them, right? And um, they light up something in me that just being with my kids or just being with my husband or just going to a meeting just doesn't do. Something happens when two alcoholics come together, right? And there's nothing expected. There's only giving. We were just talking about this before the meeting, real love is about, it's forgiving. It's not forgetting. It's not about what I'm going to receive. And how many times is our grudge list because we're not getting what I want from the world when really I'm, I'm always backwards. It's love is about what I'm giving. And I'm always fulfilled when I'm giving. There's never a lack because you're not under any expectation to serve me. Right? Um, I, uh, I'm done. I know I'm done with time, but I just really want to thank you guys for allowing me to share and uh, for inviting me here. I really believe in the 12th tradition that talks about we are actually to practice a genuine humility. And um, I just encourage us all to go out from here and just try to love each other with a humble heart. Thank you so much for letting me share.